You're listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church. We're located in the Ballston neighborhood of Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. Visit us on the web at cumcballston dot o-r-g. There you can learn more about our congregation, where we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. On this Christmas Eve, we celebrate the world-altering narrative of the inbreaking, indwelling incarnation of the holy among us. The prophet Isaiah describes how all of creation sings out together because of God's presence with the people comforting and bringing peace. Isaiah, chapter 52, verses 7 through 10. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes, burst into songs of joy together. You ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his body, his holy arm, in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. The next reading is the familiar one from Luke, the story of the birth of Jesus. It is a story that changed everything for those who were witnesses. Do you remember the feeling you may have had in moments, events, or revelations that changed your life, your outlook, your trajectory forever? The depth of that feeling is what deep joy is all about not simply happiness that can be fleeting, but the idea that no matter what, there is something you have experienced that can sustain you for the long haul. God is birthing this within us again and again. Hear these words this night. Luke chapter two, verses one through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place where Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. There's something about that descending major scale with that familiar rhythm. Fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. All of heaven and nature sings. But did you ever notice that the words of joy to the world are missing all of the typical images that we have in our other beloved Christmas carols. There's no stable, no star, no angels, no shepherds, no mention of the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. It may surprise you to learn that joy to the world wasn't meant to be a Christmas song at all. 300 years ago, when Isaac Watts wrote these lyrics, Christmas wasn't a huge celebration in England. Instead, Watts wrote these words in the anticipation of the second coming of Christ, when Christ returns at the end of time. He wrote a joyful, if obscure, ode to the apocalypse. It wasn't until a century later that American composer Lowell Mason matched Watts's words with the tune that we know today. This was during the Victorian era, and that's when Christmas began to look a lot more like we expect today. Feasts on the table, cards in the mail. Joy to the world was a hit, and we have been singing it ever since. I wonder what Isaac Watts would think if he knew that his words that began as a celebration of Christ returning to this world are now sung as a celebration of Christ arriving in the manger. Our king, not as a returning hero, but as a newborn babe. Watts thought he was writing about God's work at the end of time, but that's not what we're used to singing about. How often in our lives do we think that we're hearing the final word about something, but God has another thing in mind? Watts thought he was writing a finale, but it turned out to be an overture. I wonder, on this night so long ago in Bethlehem, 
if it felt like a triumphant beginning or a long-awaited ending. You see, for generations, God's people had waited for a Messiah. For centuries, they'd heard the ancient words of prophets singing out God's promises of the one who would come to save. For generations, they had lived with pharaohs and kings and emperors who ruled. All the while, shepherds tended, poets dreamed, and prophets sang of God's promise. One day, God will come to save us. And then one day, an angel appeared to a young girl. God breathed on her, and she sang for joy. And then she gathered with her spouse, Joseph, in the manger and brought forth new life. God's breath became flesh. God's cry sang out in this world, in the middle of the mess of life. Jesus is joy in the flesh. The eternal and ineffable God of all space and time arrives in the manger in the middle of the messiness of life. At first, no one really seemed to notice that God's promises were fulfilled in this little baby. Mary and Joseph, of course, those local shepherds tending their flocks, a few magi following a star. But for some time, his own people didn't pay much attention. I wonder what kind of power, what kind of salvation they were longing for that they missed the gift of God when it came. Were they, like Watts, expecting something different? Are we expecting something different than what God is doing? Were God's people so long ago waiting for a glorious ending to their wait for a Messiah that they missed a quiet new beginning? How does this story on this holy night change our world knowing that God came into the messiness of real life to be with us and to be one of us? The baby Jesus experienced hunger and warmth and safety in his mother's arms. In Jesus, God knows what it is to be human, to laugh and play, to love and to struggle. In Jesus, God will come to know pain and what it is to die. And in God's love, even Jesus' end of life on a cross becomes a glorious beginning again at the resurrection three days later. Over the last few years, this congregation has been diligently working to transform our property to better serve our community. We've had a few beginnings and a few endings through this process. Right now, it's likely that this will be our final Christmas Eve worship service in this sanctuary. It's something of a new beginning for us, not an ending for us as our church. But for the last five years, I have started our Christmas Eve worship planning meeting with Barbara saying, this might be our last year in the building. And so it has felt like five years of Advent, of waiting, of planning and preparing and longing for Christmas. And we don't know if this Christmas is it. But when the time comes, we know that it will not be the end of our story, 
but a beautiful new beginning for what God is doing for us and for the generations that follow. And so tonight, we claim the promise of our salvation. Whatever feelings we bring with us into worship, whether it is joy and comfort and peace, or sorrow, anxiety, or loneliness, God dwells here with us. The Savior who came not to free us with a mighty sword or a royal decree, but our Savior who saves us by righteousness and love, who enters the mess of our lives, the brokenness of our world, and who heals it and transforms it by his love and his grace. It may not always feel like we're saved and transformed just yet. When we read the news, when we grieve over the death of loved ones, when we sense the depth of our own sin. But on this holy night, we are reminded that when we think we've heard a finale, the angels are singing God's overture. In Jesus, heaven and earth are made one. God is with us always, and there is nothing that can separate us from God's love. Yes, Christ comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. The Word made flesh, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, and the beginning again. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>